All right, so I'm going to jump right into the title of today's message. And the title of today's message is Finding Joy in Generous Living. Finding Joy in Generous Living. And I'm going to, I'm going to own up to it right at the very front. I understand it can be awkward. Um, it can be a little bit uncomfortable when as a church we talk about generosity and money. And it always seems to be the, the week where you finally get your friend to come to you and say, hey, come with me to church. Or it's when you're a first-time guest. Well, welcome friends and guests. Today is your day and we are glad that you are here with us today. And I understand that I've been around church my entire life and I've seen this spoken of in so many different ways and sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's, um, that as a church, I think sometimes we've just done a, a poor job. You know, some funny, maybe not so funny examples. I've been in at least two different services where the pastor stands up, they take the offering where they pass the bucket around, the ushers go to the back, they, they you know, just count up the, the giving. And then the pastor comes back on stage and says, nope, that wasn't good enough. Pass the buckets again. We are not going to do that, I promise. Um, I, my, as we lived um, in Washington at one point in life, my kids had some neighborhood friends. And they were just, you know, little kids. And we were always trying to invite them to come to church with us. Their family, they went to a, a church, like they were the year three or four times a year type church members, and they didn't really attend that often, but it was a very conservative, orthodox style church. And so to an eight-year-old to go to a service like that is like boredom torture, and they want nothing to do with being there. And I remember him talking to us about the way that they took offering. And at the end, I, I, get, I guess it's at the end of services when they would take the offering. So as an eight-year-old, he thought that your way to get out of this place was to pay money, and then they'd let you leave. So he would beg his dad from the beginning, can we just pay so we can go? Um, we're not going to cover, have a cover charge for you guys to leave this place either today. But the truth is, you know, in reality, we're committed to being a church where Scripture's the standard, and Scripture talks a lot about money and generosity. Yeah. It's not a topic that we're going to dwell on a lot, and honestly... It's because I've seen it done so poorly. I carry some personal baggage about the, the way that it's spoken of. But I can't let some of my personal tendencies impact the way that we're going to preach scripture. Yeah. So the truth is Jesus talked about money and generosity more than almost any other topic. So we're, gonna, we're not going to shy away from talking about this in a healthy way. Paul concludes this book of Philippians. And in his conclusion in the book, he thanks them for their generosity. In fact, we've said this, that this letter is really a, a, a long letter that's thanking them for being generous. While he's been in prison, they've continued to give him support. And even before them, they were giving money and support so that the message of Jesus could be spread and go out. But there's a big reason of why they were willing to be so generous. And I believe that reason kind of, it goes, starts in verse 15, but let me read in verse 14. It says, it was good for you to share my trouble. So he's saying, it was good that you um, were sharing my trouble by being generous says, moreover, as you Philippians know, and he says, here's something about them. Or in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. So he's saying, you understood and you knew you were close together with the message of the gospel of Jesus. The church in Philippi had been a model of generosity. On multiple occasions, they'd supported and given to Paul and his work. And Paul said this, you know, you're acquainted with the gospel, what he's saying is, you've heard the message of Jesus. You've heard the good news of Christ. And it's compelled and it's impacted the way that you generously give. Here's what I believe. 
when we really understand how generous Jesus is, when we really get hit by that, you know, freight train of grace and forgiveness, one of the ways that we're immediately going to respond is to be generous back. Because it's really hard to understand the generosity of Christ and then continue to say, well, I need to keep this all to myself. That's why our first point today is the generosity of Jesus should compel generosity in us. The generosity of Jesus should compel generosity in us. The most important type of generosity is the kind that happens when you can't afford to pay it back. The generosity where someone's so generous, it's like, I can't, I can't imagine paying this back. So for instance, let me give you for instance. If sometime this week you were to say, hey, let me take you out for pizza. And we went to the best pizza place in town. I don't know what that is because I just moved here. Um, but you take me out to pizza. And at the end you say, man, I got the check. I got this. It's on me. Now I'm going to be thankful. I'll be grateful. But in all reality, I can afford to pay for pizza. Right? I, it, it's a nice thing and it's, it's a great gesture and thank you, but I can afford to pay for pizza. But if we go out for pizza, at the end they give us the check and you go, hey, I got the check. But you know, Pastor Mark, I'm going to pay off your mortgage too. My response is going to be completely different at this point. You know, I might faint, I might cry, wet my pants, I don't know what's going to happen. But it's going to be, it's going to elicit a whole different response because you are being generous in a way that, you know what? It's going to take me years to pour that back. You see, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, freedom, forgiveness, restoration with God is way better than paying off a mortgage because in reality, I can eventually pay off my own mortgage. But there is nothing I can do to pay off the debt of sin that separates me from who God is and who he wants to be in my life. There's nothing I can do on my own. No matter what you may have been taught, there's no religious service, there's no goodness that's going to cover that debt. Nothing we can do on our own but Jesus. But Jesus himself, he saw the debt that we could never pay off and he said, I got this. I'm going to cover this. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to pay for this. You know, we, we see one of the last things Jesus said before he died was to tell us die, which, you know, it's finished, it's done. And it's, a, it's an accounting term, basically saying the debt has been wiped clear. It's paid. It's finished. It's gone. And Jesus was so generous that he wiped away that debt so that we could live in freedom, forgiveness. And Paul is saying, I want to thank you for being generous. And he says, and I believe your generosity, it stems because you're so acquainted and understanding of the gospel. You know, 2,000 years ago, the most generous thing in humanity ever happened with Jesus on the cross. And, and Jesus, gener he generously gave all of himself. Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He didn't 10% die on the cross. He gave everything for us. He gave generously so that we could have an abundant life here on earth and we could have a forever home in eternity in heaven. I think, you know, you hear this and some of you immediately are going, okay, so we're going to talk about tithing. We're going to talk about giving 10% of my income. And actually, that's not my point at all. At all. Okay, so I'm the pastor here now. And I'm going to say something that may be a little controversial. Some of you may not like what I'm about to say, but it's a true statement. I'm going to say this. So many of us grew up 
a lot of you guys grew up in a tradition of church and you were in church a lot and you grew up in a tradition of church and tithing. Let me say this, guys, tithing is not a gospel-centered idea. And I know some of you guys right now, I see it, you're squirming, your blood pressure's getting upset. Um, you're like, wait a minute, tithing is not a gospel-centric idea. It just isn't. Before you charge the stage, before you call me a heretic, before you send an email to joey at wearerelevant.org, <laughs> let, me, let me explain this. It is an Old Testament biblical idea. It is. But tithing is not a New Testament gospel-centered teaching. A tithe, which means to take a tenth, to take a tenth of what you make, the words, it comes from Levitical law. It's a command that God gave the Israelites to give away a tenth of their harvest, to pay it back. And we've taken that as a church and we've adopted it and it's become a commonplace tradition in the church. And in fact, some of you are arguing with me right now in your head, if you were to really study this, the Israelites gave away between 20 and 30% through generosity, through giving, through offerings. Now hear me, I want you to understand this as a church. When you give 10% of what you give we, we give away to missions, organizations, outreaches. So 10% we give, personally as a family. I give 10% back to this church as a starting place. Like that's my starting place for generosity. And if you've never given, or you just started giving regularly 10%, thank you. You know, if you've never given, just that's an amazing standard. And the beauty of a percentage-based type of standard is 10% is 10%. So for a billionaire or a person that has $4, it's a, it's a common, easy to understand standard. But just as you and I now wear polyester clothes, we eat shrimp, we cut the sides of our hair. <laughs> Tithing is an Old Testament idea that's redefined in the New Testament. And just because you've heard it a lot, and just because it's common custom does not make it a command. So and some of you guys in hearing this, you're like, okay, well then I don't have to give anymore. Great, I guess I don't have to. If that's what you're getting out of this, you have heard the completely wrong thing that I'm about to teach. And honestly, if you've been giving out of compulsion, that's not the heart behind generosity to begin with. It just isn't. If you're hearing me say that and you just completely missed the point because the gospel of Jesus, the New Testament scripture honestly calls it to something more significant. We're called to something different and more difficult to teach and understand something called generosity. Generosity is a concept that's hard sometimes and difficult to teach. So what a lot of us do in the church world is we say, well, let me get to a common standard that we can understand and we teach something called tithe. But just because something is a difficult topic to teach doesn't mean I'm willing to water down and to run away from teaching generosity. Because I'm not fearful to say, well, I need you guys to give 10%. I want you guys to be generous. I believe that God will stir up something inside of you to do that. Honestly, we're called to something different. We're called to more. And I want you to understand this. Tithing is a great standard to understand. It really is. Study it. Learn about it. It's a great standard to understand. But generosity is the call of Christ. And it's what sets apart the Christian faith. A lot of times people are like, I don't... I don't like to tithe because it doesn't talk about it in the New Testament. I'm like, yeah, not, not really a whole lot. But do you want to know what the first church did? They gave everything. They shared all of their resources. They were overwhelmingly generous. So that is the standard that God wants us. He's saying, just be generous. I was generous. You be generous. Right. 
Here's an easy way to define biblical generosity. Biblical generosity in the New Testament is giving in a way that you feel it because it costs you something. Giving in a way that you feel it because it costs you something. For some of you, that means giving 10% because you feel it. It makes you have to adjust your budget. It costs you something. Thank you. For some of you, it's like, I'm going to, I need to pray and I'm going to put my giving on a reoccurring pattern that it's the first thing that comes out of my pay. And I'm just going to, it costs you something. You feel it. For some of you, it's like, I'm going to just start giving $5 each week. I'm going to feel it. It's going to cost me something. But what you need to do is just pray and say, God, how is it that you want me to be generous? Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he's actually making a reference to the Philippians and their generosity. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. We're to give generously, not comfortably, not easily. And I also don't want you to ever read this and think, well, if I give a lot, then I'm going to get back a lot. That's not what... That we sometimes think if we give a lot financially, we'll get a lot back financially. And that's not exactly what this is saying. Sometimes when you give financially, what you get back is just this amazing peace and joy and comfort that comes inside of you. Sometimes God all of a sudden will bring you a relationship and a friendship that you're like, how did I meet this person? Sometimes your reward, your blessing, your return, you won't even see it until you get to our eternal home in heaven. So we don't give to get we give because we've been given so much. But what's confusing to me, because I've taught this and been around this for a long time, and whenever I teach the topic of generosity, whenever generosity comes up in church, we tend to look at God and we say, okay, God, what's, what's the rule? What's the minimum I have to give? What's the box I have to check to be generous? 10%? Is that before tax or after tax? You guys stop that type of thinking. And the honest to God truth is, Man, if we're giving more to our government than we are to our church, you, a lot of you, we all pay sales tax and homeowners tax and fees. And I'm not trying to con- condemn you. I'm just saying, hey, let's think about this. Because God didn't look at us and say, what's the minimum I can give? He said, what is the maximum I can give and pour out generously on them so that they can be reunited with me? He gave us the most. And our giving should be a response. That's an act of worship. Thinking, just thanking Jesus for all that he's done and a wise choice that helps us see things from God's perspective. You'll hear me say that time and time again. Our giving is an act of worship saying, God, thank you for being generous to me. And it's a wise choice because when we're generous, we begin to see things from God's perspective because he's generous. And when we live this way, it impacts our lives for the better. So remember giving. Giving generously is giving in a way that you feel it it impacts you. It may mean that you have to adjust something. It's saying, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to have a generous lifestyle. The church at Philippi, they got it. They understood the gospel. They were well acquainted with it, and it stirred them to be generous. Let's continue. Verse 17. Paul says, I'm going to read this, this one particular verse from the ESV translation. It says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So what Paul is saying is, he's, Saying, I'm, in, I'm encouraged and excited that you're being generous. He said, I, it's not that I need the gift or I want the gift. I'm thankful to see what God is going to do to you, how he's going to credit you, what fruit he's going to grow in your life. And when he talks about fruit, when we're generous, man, God grows inside of us goodness 
and there's his peace. And you know, generous, if you meet generous people, even generous people that don't have a lot, they're some of the most like happy, joy-filled people that you'll ever meet. More godliness, more goodness, more peace. These fruitful credits, they look very different. They may be eternal rewards like we talked about, but he's saying, I'm excited that you're giving. And he's saying, I'm not, I'm not excited because you're giving me more. I'm excited to see what God is doing in you, how he's developing godly character in your life. When we're generous, we're sharing the heart of God and godly character begins to develop inside of us. Verse 18, Paul says, I've received full payment and I've even more than enough and I'm amply supplied. Skip to the end, but it's, he's talking about their giving. He says, their, their gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Generous people understand this. It's point number two. Generosity pleases God. Yes. Generosity pleases God. He tells them right there, when your, your gift is like a fragrant offering, it's a gift that's pleasing to God. It just, it just does. It pleases him. And, and God obviously wants us to be generous. It's talked about over, over 2,000 verses in Scripture talk about money and generosity. That is a lot of times. But I think, man, why does God care so much about my money? Like, why is he talking about my money all the time? Why is he asking me to be generous with my money? There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus makes money appear in the mouth of a fish. He can make it appear anywhere. Why does he care so much about my money? But here's where I think we've missed it. There's a big problem when it comes to money. And the problem isn't necessarily how do we spend it, how do we save it, do we get in debt or not, do we give, like, the problem is this. And I said it multiple times. We think all of our money belongs to us. We think it's our money. Guess what, guys? It's all God's. It all belongs to him. I said it multiple times, my money. But that's actually, that's actually a big problem when we think it's all ours. And that's one of the struggles of why, you know, when we teach tithe, we say, oh, this 10% belongs to God. No, guys, it all belongs to God. 100% of it belongs to God, and he's given it to us to manage. So he's called us to be generous. And what that means is we take all that we have. Living generously is taking all that we have thanking and acknowledging that it all comes from God and then saying, God, how do you want me to use this? What do you want me to do with this? Honestly, when you get paid, you should take that check. You should thank God for the job that he's provided for you. And you say, God, thank you for this. God, how would you have me to use this? What do you want me to give? How do you want me to support my family? What is it that you want me to do? Because living generously is just thanking God and then saying, God, what is it that you want me to do with this? It all comes from God. It all belongs to him. He owns it all. It's all his. Let me give you a real life example. It's all his and he's willing to let us manage it. Let me give you a real life example. So my son, I'm going to embarrass him. He's in here now, this service. Elijah's 11 years old. And Elijah, if any of you have a kid like this, it's a blessing sometimes, but it's frustrating. He's the kid that wants to give all of his stuff away all the time. Like, whatever, who cares? Just give it to people. Especially when it comes to like Christmas and birthdays. He's just, let's spend all my money on gifts and just buy everybody everything. And as a dad, I'm always telling him, son, you can't spend all your money on people and on other gifts. And he'll say, well, why not? And I say, I, 
I don't know. It's just not responsible. One day you'll learn the value of money and you won't be spending all that money. And I'm always telling him that, that he needs to be responsible and just, you know, you need to save it and don't be spending all your money on other people. So we're currently in the process of looking for, you know, a home. And the other day, Elijah's with us and we're driving around and homes are a big investment, you know, and he sees that homes are, you know, they cost a lot of money. And we're driving down the street and he said, dad, if you need my money, you can have it. It, If it helps, you can have, I've got like $60 in rolled coins. You can have my money. And I turned to him, I said, son, that's all my money anyways. I gave you that money. He says, well, if you need it back, you can have it. And as I was writing this, I realized that's honestly what God has done to us. It's all his. If he asked for it all back, would we be willing to give it? If he asked for us just a little bit, are we willing to give it? And here's, here's why my son is, has no problem doing this. Because he knows that he has a dad who loves him. He knows he has a dad that's going to make sure he's fed and taken care of. He, makes, he knows that he has a dad that honestly will just give him more. And so when it comes to giving, he's like, who cares? I'll just give it all because my dad's going to make sure I have food. And he just trusts that I care for him. Sometimes that holds us back from being generous because I don't know that we honestly trust that God cares for us and will be generous towards us. And the truth is when we hear a story kind of of a generous kid, we all kind of go, oh, that's so sweet. And it's amazing that Paul says their generosity is like a sweet fragrance. And I think that's what should follow the church of Jesus around. That it's, we're so generous. It's like a sweet fragrance that people are attracted to. And they're saying, what is different here? It's because we're people that just say, my dad has it all. So what do you need? We live open-handed, not closed fist. Because when I live closed fist, I can't get anything else in it. But when I live open-handed, man, I give, I take. Sometimes it's empty and I have to go to God. I don't know what to do. Okay, here. And you just live open-handed. Paul concludes the book of Philippians and he says this verse that a lot of us are familiar with. He says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He gives him one final thought and it's something that generous people truly believe and it's something that like my son just thinks about dad. Generous, poli- generous people believe that God is generous. Generous people truly trust God is a generous God. This is what scripture tells us. It says that you know, he's not going to hold back good things from us. He is a generous God. He's not stingy towards you. He delights in being generous. But don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean God wants you. He's not like, here's your own private island and private jet. We read that verse, what does it say? It says, God will meet all your needs, not all your greeds. It says, I'll meet all your needs. God wants to meet your needs. He's not willing, he's not going to sit out there and meet all your greeds. There's times when he pours out lavishly on us. But I think he pours out lavishly on us so he can say, okay, what are you going to do with this? Are you going to let it consume you? Or are you going to let it be a, you're going to be a, a funnel of my love to other people? And sometimes when we realize and we think through, what are my actual needs? And we realize how much we've actually been blessed with. Now, not all of us, I'm not saying all of us have this, but most of us in this room, we have more than what our actual needs are. 
And when we come to that realization and it hits us and we, re- we realize how much God has done for us, like, you know what? I actually can be generous. I actually have more than enough. You know, one of the things and one of the reasons I was just talking to someone out in the lobby that I love going on four missions trips and like when we were just recently in Guatemala, you're meeting people that, man, all they basically have is their needs met, but I didn't walk into meeting any of these people without them wanting to give me stuff. I meet these people that don't have hardly anything and they kept wanting to give me things. Somewhere along the way, they got it. They have all their needs met and hey, I've got an extra, the one lady we were building her a home, she hardly had anything, but she grew bananas and she brought us a bunch. She's like, here, have these. This is what I have to give. Man, are we going to respond with an understanding that God will continue to meet our needs and he's allowed us and given us the opportunity to be generous. So, I know for some of you guys, it might feel like, man, the church is always talking about money. I want you to know that that is not me. You know, I've been in enough services where I felt manipulated or coerced into, you know, it just, and that's just not going to be who I am. But God understands something that we sometimes don't really believe. He understands that our finances and our hearts are really closely connected. Because sometimes we think that money can give us what only God truly can. We think that money can bring us comfort and money can bring us peace. And so we chase after that instead of chasing after God. And he says, hey, I don't want you to be trapped in this lie and in this bondage of always wanting more because I have something more for you. I need you to, I want to set you free from that. I want you to think about, there's a a story in, in Mark 10. Jesus has an interaction with a a rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he begins to ask Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And he, he tells Jesus, I've done all the right things. I've followed all the rules. And Jesus knows there's something that's consuming you that actually has your heart. And I believe, honestly, it's a lot of us too. And it's wealth. And so Jesus, I'm going to read this from the message translation. Verse 21, Jesus looked him in the eye. And he loved him. And I, I love that it says that because Jesus wasn't trying to give him some swerve or pick on him. It says, he compassionately is looking at him. He said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will be heavenly wealth. And then come follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, do you have any idea how difficult cult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom. The disciples couldn't believe what they were hearing, but Jesus kept on. You can't imagine how difficult it is. It's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich to get into God's kingdom. They got their attention. Then who has any chance? They asked. Jesus was blunt. He said, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself, but every chance in the world if you let God do it. Friends, money doesn't have morals. Money doesn't have morals. You do. When it's put in your hands, money is a tool. That's when it's put in your hands, it's got now power. You're the one that has morals. And let me also set the the real clear. Being wealthy and being rich is not a sin that's going to keep you from heaven. I would pray that God would bless all of you guys abundantly with wealth. But it is a difficult burden to carry. It is a hard thing to not be let 
consumed, be consuming in your life. But I want to say something about this, this person we meet called the rich young ruler. We meet this guy, the rich young ruler, and I want you to think of some things. First off, this guy is no longer rich. He is no longer young, and he now rules nothing. We don't even know his name. We don't know his name. You know whose names we do know? Peter, James, John, men who left everything to follow Jesus. We name our kids after these people. This guy had an opportunity, a life-changing moment to give it all up and follow Jesus. And he didn't. I want to follow the example of Peter who caught a a big, huge, wealth-giving, forever, life-changing amount of fish. And he said, I'm following this guy instead. If that's what he's called me to do, that's what I'm going to do. God gives it all to us. Generosity is, again, it's saying simply, God, what would you have me to give back? I want to just kind of be honest with you guys. When I first took this job as a lead pastor, I was prepared for, you know, I felt prepared for most things that the Lord would bring. You know, I'd been around you guys for a bit. I'd been in some amazing churches and learned from some great leaders and learned all kinds of things. But there was one thing that I felt really kind of insecure about. They didn't know and what, you know, and I, man, I'm like, I know how to teach Bible. I'll continue to grow in, in preaching. I know how to lead teams and build structures. I got that kind of stuff down. But there was one thing that I didn't have a lot of experience in. One thing that I felt, man, I don't know how to carry this weight. And it's the weight of making sure that a church is financially healthy. I knew what it was like to be a partner in that, but to be the lead guy that has to carry that weight to, make a, to see that a church is financially healthy. And I remember praying, God, don't ever let me manipulate people or tickle their ears or say things to try to coerce them into being generous. Please don't ever let me cower down carrying this weight. And God clearly said this back to me. That is not your weight to carry. I did not call you to carry that weight. I will stir people up to be generous. You just be faithful and consistent in preaching the word and pointing people towards Christ. So I want you to know I have no concern that God will continue to work and move in this place as long as we're faithful to some things. If we're faithful and remain true to some core values that we're starting to say a lot around here, Jesus is our message. Scripture is our standard. Prayer lays the path. And God, God will provide. He will. The Lord, remember, he owns it all. And I believe his spirit will stir something inside of you to say, hey, I believe in the work and the mission of what we're doing here at Relevant Church and I want to give to be a part of it. So, I'm standing up here not concerned. I'm full of vision. I'm excited. Now that I'm more planted here, I'm even more excited. I told my wife this morning, I got a lot of energy. Like, let's go. I'm excited to see what God's going to continue to do in this place. I believe that, you know, marriages are going to be restored. That families are going to be connected and grown. That young people, young adults are going to fill this place with a new energy and excitement that we have never experienced. 
I believe there's going to be addictions broken. That this is going to be a house where miracles are happening. That we're going to be a launch pad of leadership where people are developed and trained and businesses are going to be started out of this place and churches are going to be planted out of this place because we're setting people in motion for what God has for them. That we're going to be radically generous and lavish towards our community that we're going to pour out. But honestly, church, I just want to give you, you need to know that we've got some room to grow in generosity. Part of that is, I know some of you are still rebuilding trust. I want you to to fully know, man, I am going to be as open with you guys and as responsible with you guys with the finances that you bless us with as possible. We're currently re-tweaking and reworking our budgets to be built way more on function than flash. I would way more be a, a church that's functional than flashy. These things are nice, but man, I can preach the word if you just give me a Bible. We're going to build budgets where we're ministering to kids, we're developing leaders, we're doing outreach, we're making sure we do stuff to make sure the lights are turned on, we got goldfish and, you know, diapers for the kids, and we're going to do those things. And I know I talked about at the beginning, kind of that 10%, and even though I don't believe tithe is a command, I do believe it's a good standard to try to, we can measure towards and aim towards. And I did a little bit of just thinking and looking at some of our budgets, and I What's the, you know, median, like what's the home, like the per capita average of how much the income earned here is in Paducah and looked at where we are giving. And after doing a little bit of math, we're honestly at about 3%. So we have room to grow in generosity. Here's what I want you to understand as we close the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is about a church that wasn't super wealthy. They were probably fairly young and they didn't have tons and tons of people, but they were generous and their thank you letter is written that we're still reading it today because they made an impact that's gonna be spoken of and is eternal and is still impacting us today. I believe that God likes to start significant things in small places and he's gonna do something significant here at this church in Paducah, Kentucky as we decide to follow his example of generosity and say, God, you give me so much, I want to pour into this place. And a lot of us think, well, I can be generous on my own. That is very true. And I would encourage you to do that. But there's something powerful when collectively we come together and we're able to do something significant when we all pitch in. So, I mean, I should encourage you. Let's be generous. Let's be generous. And as we do, just watch what God can do when we step up in generosity. Just watch how the Spirit will fall in this place when we actually start living out a life that believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ and responds appropriately.